Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. Our Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, 15 through 25. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Our New Testament reading for today is Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 23. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself 
up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, I'm Pastor Craig. I was on a run yesterday in, in West Rock. It's kind of a rocky trail, not great for running, and kind of coming around a turn, and I fell uh, onto some rocks. But I have kind of a long way to go uh, once I hit, to get to the ground, and I let out a preemptive groan before I even hit anything. And then I let out another groan and kind of looked around to see if anyone saw me. Uh, I wonder if that is what we do with this passage. We let out a preemptive groan. How can we not do that? That is our question. We all come to the topic of marriage with all sorts of cultural baggage, don't we? And I'm afraid if you think you don't have any baggage, then you may have the most baggage of all. I know that you have baggage because you're sitting here. You are alive, so you either had parents or have parents or didn't have parents, but have some thoughts about how wives and husbands should act, no matter what your situation, maybe it is wonderful and beautiful, maybe it is abusive and terrible, but you certainly have baggage. And so do I. Another part of the problem, I would encourage you as much as we can to try and not hear through your baggage or through what baggage you think I have. You may think I'm too liberal or progressive or you may think I'm too conservative, but try not to hear through that lens. I tried as best I could to do some extra work in getting ready for this sermon, trying to be willing to preach whatever I'm convinced the word says, whether it means defend the ancient patriarchy or not, that's what I'm going to preach. So I would encourage you to try and simply hear. Don't just hear for the other. Don't 
elbow your spouse and then shut your ears off when you're addressed. And also, if you are not married, this too is for you. Whether or not you want to get married or will get married, Paul certainly knows that there are many people who don't fit into any of these categories. And we're going to see that much of this is still amazingly, beautifully relevant for you, too. Because this is all about Jesus Christ. And so I, I really want to convince you of, of two basic things. One is that submit is not a four-letter word. It's not a bad word. And that, two, marriage is about Jesus. So let's pray and try to do that. Lord, we do give you praise for this day and even for your word. And yet we know that we come to the topic of marriage and gender and how to be uh, a follower after you. We come with all sorts of feelings. We come, some of them, with beautiful and wonderful feelings. And others come with incredible pain and hurt and shame. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be here now, that you would speak according to your word, that we would be lifted up even into heaven, that we would be united with our one groom, Jesus Christ. Would he be glorified, and in his name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with uh, some cultural expectations that they would have had when they think about marriage roles, and then also what we would have coming into this. So what do they think it should say if you're going to address a husband and a wife? I obviously cannot say everything, so please give me grace. There is a podcast that we try to go a little bit beyond what we can say here, so you're encouraged to listen to that. There is an adult Sunday school class and we're walking through what we believe. And so in, I think, about early May is when we get to marriage and gender and sexuality. So we'll have more time to say things there. But briefly, what they would have expected, if you're going to address a husband, is to say certain things like, make sure you provide for, care for, support your wife. Because you, in fact, have all legal and social authority over her. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, the wives were treated basically like minors, akin to the children. And so if the husbands were addressed, they would have, in light of this basically legally enshrined patriarchy, they would have been encouraged maybe to care for her, to think about her needs. They certainly would never have been told to love her. We don't have any evidence of any ancient manuscripts outside of the New Testament where a husband is told to love their wife. Not because they were unfeeling and brutal, although in some cases certainly they were, but because the highest ideal in love for the ancient person, is friendship. 
but it's friendship between two free men. Those are the ones who have the power and the luxury to actually be friends, have the education to enact it and to do it properly, to do it in a virtuous way. So you were to love your friend if you were a free man, sure. So they are not told to love their wife. On the other hand, what would wives expect? Wives would have expected, well, first, they probably wouldn't have expected to be addressed at all. Hardly to have been considered independent moral agents. It's striking that Paul not only addresses them, but addresses them first. So we already start to see some upside-down things. If they were addressed, they would have been told to sacrifice yourself for him. The wives would have been. Please him, become more like him, obey him. You are like the body, he is like the soul. Which is a horrifying way to put it. What about now? What are some expectations we have in coming to marriage and what it means to be a husband or a wife? What do we think of now? Well, it seems like Marriage is considered pointless, maybe without much meaning other than securing some kind of social or political rights. It is the place where love goes to die for a lot of us. Or it's about me, right? Marriage is about fulfilling me and my desires. I want to be with you because how you make me feel. It's about self-fulfillment, or it's about manipulating the other person to get what you want, or it's about falling madly in love until you're not and then moving on. Certainly, we would have expected the wives' and husbands' roles to have been interchangeable, and that is not what we find in Scripture. Man and woman are not the same. We cannot just interchange them. There are differences. All right, that's some of the expectations. What are some of the misconceptions as far as what we think it says, but it does not? And again, we think it says certain things that actually, if we're careful, it does not say. It does not base any of these exhortations or commands on some kind of inferiority which was, would have been very easy for Paul to have said in the ancient world, because that was assumed and that was in law. It is not based on that. Paul has gone out of his way throughout this letter to stress the unity of the church. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you were far away or were always near, we are one. So this is certainly not based on any sort of hierarchy within the sexes. And this is not applicable to all people. This is applicable to those who are married. So this does not apply to all men and women in this room, to all the other men or women in this room. Meaning, if you're a single woman here, you don't have to look around and say, I have to submit to all these men. That's not what it means. Paul is very specific. He says, to your own, to your own husband. 
is only safe in the marriage. Okay? Not based on some kind of hierarchy or even to all genders. Not to dating either. Not based in personality. How many of us know that the woman in the marriage talks more than the man? But that doesn't mean she can't be who she is as a Christian woman just because her personality is more extroverted. Okay? Also, it does not say obey. He could have easily said that too. He says it to the children and he says it to the servants later. He doesn't say it to the wife. He also doesn't say to the husband, make sure and get her to submit when he starts addressing the husbands. As one commentator says, a command to submit does not constitute a reversed mandate for the other to subjugate. So when we think about what it submits, we always have to remember who we are called to submit to. And certainly selfish and lazy demands are not leadership. So, Hopefully that has cleared a little bit of some of the baggage. But I want to remind us also of the larger context. Sometimes we read passages like this and we forget that it's a Christian Bible that we're reading. Don't forget what Paul has already said in Ephesians and what Jesus says over and over. In Mark 10, he says to the disciples who are thinking about some kind of power grab, he says, The Gentiles lord it over one another. Let it not be so among you. Why? Because of the Son of Man, the King of all, has come not to be served, but to serve. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In Luke 9, he says, if you want to follow me, great. Pick up your cross daily. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So we should already start to see that something like submit is not a bad word. Moreover, why I had a start in verse 18 is very significant. Because this is all under the section of what it means to have a new life in Christ. What it means to have a new life in the church. And the command is is to be filled with the Spirit. And then... Four ways that we are told to do that. And you have this beautiful picture of how we are addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing and making melody to each other. Right? We are giving thanks. So those are the participles. And then there's a final participle. Submitting one to another. Submitting one to another. All in line with what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so, in the case of the church, certainly the husbands are told, submit one to another. The church is to be a whole new type of community after the model of Christ. So, with that, I want us to look at first what Paul says to the wives. He says, and it is very, again, important, the subheading in most Bibles 
makes it difficult to see this, but he actually says, he ends verse 21, submitting one to another, and then he says, wives to your own husbands. He does not have the word submit there. He says, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he does it again in 24. Now as Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives in everything to their husbands. Now that doesn't get you out of anything because he says submit in Colossians 3. But it's important for the context to realize what the purpose of all this is. So he says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. This is not controversial to the church in Ephesus. This would have been obvious to them that there is some kind of authority, although he doesn't use that word here. There is some kind of headship some kind of guidance, strength, role that the husband is to play as Christ does to the church. And we've seen the head and body metaphors already throughout Ephesians. The church is to grow up into him who is the head. Which doesn't, it, there's a lot of debates. What does head mean? It's not source. It's not it's not even quite authority when you think of the body growing up into the head. We grow up into him, well, we're going to see because we are one with him. But clearly there is an authority, a way that the role ought to be played by the husband. And the wife is to recognize that, submit to that. You are not submitting to Archie Bunker or some other sort of Husband, you may have in mind. We're going to see who we ought to submit to in a minute when we come to the husbands. But it is there. Submit as to the Lord. As to the Lord, meaning you are always a Christian first. You are not submitting, you're not being led into sin. Remember, he doesn't say obey. He doesn't say obey. This is not the husband gets carte blanche and gets to tell you whatever he wants and you have to do it. It is very, very, very far from that once we get to the husband. I think what this means is you are to become a picture of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? You submit your life to Christ. And so here the wife is called out of reverence for Christ to submit to him. Show me what it looks like. Show me how I am supposed to act as a follower of Christ. Other places he talks about the spouse winning the unbelieving spouse. Drawing them, showing them Jesus. So in this case, yes, the wife gets to play 
a Jesus role. You get to submit just as the, Jesus submitted to the Father. Just as he submitted his entire life for our salvation. So what could this look like? I'm glad you asked. There are very few details given. Very, very few details given. So I'm not always sure what it looks like. I would say, just talk about it. Talk about it with your husband and go from there. Talk about it with other people in the church and go from there and try and start. Try and explore. There are ways maybe that we can know it doesn't mean. We've already mentioned some of those. right? It certainly doesn't mean you're just always insisting, demanding. Even though we know there are immeasurable abuses of the patriarchy. Barbie is right. The movie is right. Largely. Unbelievable abuses. But that doesn't mean we have to swing to the opposite extreme and what it means to be a wife is to totally emasculate and shame your husband because he watches too much TV or whatever. Try, pray, ask, talk. Try to figure out what it could look like. If you're dating, try to imagine that you could do this to, some, to a man. So we get to actually see the wife is exhorted to show us what it means to be a Christian in your relationship with your husband. So what does he then say to the husbands? Allison, you can, do you need a restroom break or, you good? You sure? You sure? Okay. Um, The husbands are told to love like Christ. It's quite that simple. It assumes a role that they are putting on like a collar. You put on a role of husband and you imitate Christ's self-sacrifice. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This would have been utterly astounding to hear. If they weren't already, they should have already been surprised by everything else it means to be a Christian. But if they weren't quite sure, the husbands in this congregation would have been utterly blown away for Paul to say, give yourself up for her? What? She is below me. Give yourself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. A beautiful, beautiful picture. Also, what we have already been told, any Christian has already been told in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God as beloved children 
Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for her. It's as if the marriage is supposed to be a picture of, of where you can be a really good Christian. Be an extra, you should do this to everyone, submit one to another, give yourself up for one another, and especially in marriage. Especially in marriage. Now it is true that the husband is not told to submit. There is not, that's why I said it, they're not interchangeable. Male and female are not interchangeable. There is a difference. They're not told to submit. I think part of the reason was, would be it would almost have been culturally unintelligible, like a category mistake, to say the one with authority submits. The picture is Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but we wouldn't say he's submitting to them. We would say he's serving them. We would say he is sacrificially giving himself to them. But we wouldn't say submit. Wouldn't quite make sense. But I think probably, if we're honest, when it comes to what it means to be a husband, we fall in either two ditches. One is we are really excited. Maybe you're young, restless, and reformed, and you're so excited about headship. And you want to talk about headship, and you're so proud to be a man, and you can't wait to get married, or you already are married. And I'm not sure you can be so excited about headship and actually be the head that he is calling you here. Because what it means to be that head is to sacrifice yourself. On the other side, some of us are so afraid or so act so powerless, I think we have forgotten that there is even a distinct role of being a husband. So some of us need to simply wake up and say, it does not mean be passive. It does not mean lie on the couch and command. It means Die to yourself in an active way so that you may pursue the sanctification of your wife. Don't hide behind some kind of feminism and think, well, I'm not going to demand anything and then I'm going to be a good husband. How do you need to perhaps wake up? What could this look like? I think you probably already know. Stop looking into your own interests instead of your wife's. Just start there. Start with one. One time today. Try it. The question also is why? Why should husbands do this? And if you're not married and your mind started to wander, come back. Come back here. We're here. How you doing? Come back. Why is the husband told this? Because you are one with your wife. Again, absolutely surprising. Your wife does not belong to you. She is you. You are one with her. 
In the same way, in our passage, it says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I just realized I never put this on. How about that? You were still listening, right? Now you really have to listen. She was trying so hard to submit, she didn't want to tell me I was dressed wrong. Come on. Where was I? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. There is an unbelievable unity here that is described between the husband and wife and between Christ and the church. Paul says something similarly surprising in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And you can imagine the ancient husband saying, Yeah, of course, obviously. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What? Wow, that's why. So, yes, it is true that the husband is not told to submit to the wife in that same way. But isn't he, in effect, told to? Isn't he, in effect, told to absolutely, if you don't want to use the the word submit, then use a different word, sacrifice himself? For her, that she may flourish, that she may grow up into Christ. So again, we have a picture of Jesus. Thought of that old Ben Harper song. It's a beautiful song, a picture. We need pictures of Jesus. Pictures of Christ's love for the church. And when he was talking about the unity that a wife has with her husband, he quotes Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That word mystery there got translated into the Latin as sacramentum, and then the Catholics started calling it a sacrament. It's not a sacrament. We don't call it a sacrament, but it is absolutely a sign. It is a sign of something that ought to be dramatically beautiful. Dramatically beautiful. We ought to try and recover what that means. The church has horrible PR when it comes to marriage, don't we? We have to try and recover what it means that marriage is actually beautiful, dramatic. You get to play a role to show forth Christ's love for the church. That is amazing. But if it's a sign, that also means it's not the highest good. The bread, the matzah, is not that important. That means that when we say trite things like, all I care about is having a family, my family is my life, my family is my purpose, 
Those are false. Idolatrous. So as wonderful as wonderful as marriage can be, of course, it can also be horribly idolatrous. And it's kind of amazing. The, the, I remember going to see Romeo and Juliet as a college student. I was a baby Christian. And I was like, yeah, we should have that sort of romantic passion for Jesus. And that's true. Ish. But Romeo and Juliet is a tragedy. Literally a tragedy. Because humans cannot sustain that. You cannot put that sort of hope or burden on someone. They are not worth your purpose or life. So when we look at marriage, or if you go to a wedding and you think, I want that. You're single and you're struggling and you're like, I just want that so badly. Sure. I get that. I was there too. But it is not a cure-all. It is absolutely not a cure-all. So if you are at that wedding, the point is not to say, I want that. The point is to say, whoa. The way the groom looks at the bride when she first walks in, that's actually a sign of something far greater. That's a sign of Jesus looking at his bride. So you can imagine the greatest Christian marriage you have ever seen. Maybe it's someone in mind. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's someone in the church. There's sacrifice. There's submission. There's beautiful gifts. They're best friends. They do everything together. They seem utterly united. They certainly are not as perfect as it seems, but maybe even they're as good as it looks. That's really how it is. That's still just a sign. That's still just a sign of something much, much greater, which is Christ's love for the church. Do you know that love? The love of Jesus for you. Do you know that? Are you a part of his body? Are you one with him? That's what we get to be, is one with him. And so, yes, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man who left is ultimately Jesus. Jesus is the true and better groom. He's the one who left. The eternal, perfect relationship of love that he may save us. And he inscribed his vows, his marriage vows. Jesus is married. He is married to his church. He inscribed his marriage vows in blood on the cross. And so when you think of those marriage vows, whether you've taken them or not, you can imagine that there is this sort of love that is stronger than death. And you can imagine Jesus saying these vows. What are those vows? 
to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or poorer. This is Jesus saying it to you. That my love is so constant and steadfast no matter what is it is. It is a stamp of his unconditional love is what the cross is. Sickness and health to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's the part that Jesus doesn't say. Because death no longer parts us. He dies and it's not a separation. It ends up coming out the other end such that we can say, even in death, I will not be parted from you, my Lord. That's what we are meant to see in marriage. Christ's unbelievable love for the church. You are invited, no matter who you are, no matter what role you think you need to play, or you are so confused or angry about what you think marriage roles are, put those aside and say, who is Jesus? I do want him. He is my Lord, the King who has conquered my sin and evil and death. Amen. God, we do give you absolute thanks and praise that you have bought us with a price. And we ask that we could live into the unity that you say we share. That we are members of your body, flesh of your flesh and bones of your bone. God, give us wisdom, not just to show us what it means to be a wife or, to, or a husband, but what it means also to follow after you, to live our lives as if you really are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have bought us and married us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.